gentlemen, welcome to Eat, Sleep, Suplex Retweet. Hello and welcome to ESSR Central here on Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet, our home of news, reviews and previews. My name is Ross McLeod and you have joined us on an absolute news-filled week. I'm just going to get right into it. I'm just going to, well, just, well it's a news-filled week, it's a news show. Uh, I'm just going to get right into it here and introduce my panel to you. First off, you see more of Haley's Comet than you do this guy. He's the Scarlet Pimple of ESSR. Here's Chris Murray. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Cheers, Ross. I don't even want to know what Haley's Comet is a nickname for in your relationship. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not allowed to say on air. Join us first. After that. <laughs> Coming up next is a man who quite dangerously used to do things to excess. You know, at times he said he just can't get enough. But thanks to Connor Goldson's two-goal plan, this man has finally got enough. He is Alan Milikus. Alan, how are you? Great. <laughs> the linesman was off. The referee should have given the free kick. Uh, it's uh, no, man. It's fine. It's fine. The better team won for once. Congratulations on was it your third ever victory over us. Well done. Well, I'm good. How are you? Oh, lovely. I mean, but better that there. But other than that, I'm lovely. Many lemons. <laughs> No, it's Lennon, not Lemons. <laughs> <laughs> Up next, David Campbell's called this man the voice of Suplex Retweet. I personally think he's a poor man's David Edgar. Please welcome Discount Heart and Hand, Gary Kernan. <laughs> oh, I don't know where to start with this. There's there's some things in common and there's lots of things not in common. <laughs> oh, you got it. I'm good, thank you. Like Mr. Egg, I'm very happy following the weekend. <laughs> and up next, quite simply, an asshole for air. A man <laughs> who I am going to take down in the Book It tournament coming soon to Suplex Retweet's YouTube channel. He is the mouth of the South, Jack Graham. The mouth of the South, you make it sound like I'm across that other side of the border, which we do not want to be in, so <laughs> you can shove that right up your ass. but apart from that, I'm all right. <laughs> lovely, lovely. Uh, just before we go any further, at Suplex Retweet, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, you can find all of our back catalogue there, and of course, get involved in the conversation, Suplex Retweet community on Facebook. We'll start off with Ron Smackdown here, guys, and a bit of a bum note to start on. Gary, we said farewell this week to the New Day. Yeah, it was, for the, as far as WWE is concerned, it was a really nice send-off the guys got, a really sort of heart-filled, genuine promo, and the whole time the guys were in the ring talking, I was waiting for somebody to interrupt, I was waiting for, because we knew they were going to go on and have a six-man tag, waiting for somebody's music to come on, and but when it never came, um, WWE obviously uh, put out a, t- a tweet uh, earlier in the week, earlier last week, thanking the New Day, and they were rightly ripped apart for it, um, because it's there, because of them, and their decision that we no longer have the New Day as this uh, this three-man team going forward. So um, I thought, yeah, really, a really good send-off. I thought SmackDown and Raw this week, I really enjoyed both shows. I'm looking forward to talking about them. Yeah, uh, two two good shows, a sort of send-off for New Day as well, Jack. But, you know, you, you guys talked on the draft show. Why would you... 
you know, when there's no authority figures there, when there's no fight for people, when you can pick four people in the hurt business or retribution, why would you waste a pick just picking two thirds of the nudie? It's daft. There's, I think, obviously, it was, it was inevitable at some point that the split was going to happen, but I think the way it just came about is just so horribly wrong. Like, there's just, there's no need for it right now to spot the new day. Obviously, the the thing is, they're wanting to push Big E's as main event singles competitor, but they don't need to do that without the new day affiliation. Like, that can still be involved in some ways. The full thing's just a bit of a slap in the face, to be honest, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. And obviously, we, we touched on that. Um, obviously, there's no need to not have the new day affiliation. There's no need to maybe split them up. I think, Alan, I would have been more okay with it if maybe SmackDown picked Big E first, but it was the fact that Raw got first pick and Raw chose to leave Big E. Yeah, I mean, I can kind of see both sides. I mean, it's good that they're realising Big E's got this momentum and falling, so they're going to let him run with it. And, you know, I think if, if like, Gary said he was waiting for something to happen, like, SmackDown, I think if something did happen, like, or one of them turned, it, it would have absolutely backfired so much on WWE. They've, they've been too long, too big, they couldn't do it. And yeah, it's a, it's a shame that they picked the tag team instead of, you know, all of them and they've left, they've left Big E behind, I agree. I think they should have done Big E first. Um, but again, it's WWE, they like to shoot themselves in the foot quite often, let's be honest. Yeah, and I think, Chris, something that gets lost in this, you know, we did see the New Day split up, but, you know, nobody's talking about the fact that poor Kalisto got split for the Lucha House Party on the supplementary draft on, on Talking Smack. I mean, why are people not talking more about this, Chris? Chris, I know you're a massive Kalisto fan, so I'm going to put you on the spot. Uh, Kalisto's sole highlight this week was just getting battered off Lars Sullivan. <laughs> it was, uh, yeah, do you know what? Um, I, I loved both shows this week. I, I said to you just before we started tonight, I was like, when did wrestling get good again? This is so good. Um, the New Day chat was so emotional. I think that there was some good little points in it. Like they sort of revealed that the New Day was uh, Xavier's idea. And um, and then it, he brought it to Big E and then they collectively came to Kofi about it. And then I liked as well how um, when he was doing his usual promo talk, he, he one point like drops back and is just sort of talking in his normal voice. And he's just like, yeah, yeah, I really appreciate you guys like coming along the, the ride with me for this. They, they spoke about like their Saturday mornings after the Friday shows, sitting talking about their families. And they were talking about how obviously Biggie being, I think he's, a fair whack younger than the other two he was like well i've not got a family but used to have and hopefully well at some point and and just every little bit of it was perfect like i loved how as gary said like they didn't get interrupted because everyone was waiting for them to get interrupted they put them up against their old foes it was just everything about that send-off was perfect you you know yourselves like wwe can't have something going on for too long like they didn't let the shield go on for too long they didn't let the invasion angle go on for too long like wcw did the same with nwo like nothing in wrestling can just be kept the only thing that seems to outlasted the new days maybe the usos because you know they're twins and um, so it, it never lasts as long as this we never get a good thing for this long so uh, yeah it, it was so sad to see it come to an end but you never know like I, I already thought I was like could this be a thing where they put them back together for like a Survivor Series matchup or something like that is this something we could see down the line fingers crossed that it's not the final 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 end and, and I liked as well that it was quite amicable as well and it wasn't you know 
Maggie taking a chair to the back of Kofi or something like that. We just don't need that ever again. Yeah, no, it's uh, thankfully they uh, they did get the good send off. They weren't interrupted. Someone who was interrupted, though, Chris, I'll come to you first on this point. Daniel Bryan, he made his return uh, to SmackDown this past week, and the now Friday Night Messiah, the Friday Night Delight, uh, Seth Rollins, interrupted him. Um, just your thoughts on the Daniel Bryan segment as a whole and are you glad to see Daniel Bryan back? Obviously, I watch a lot of older wrestling, so when older wrestlers come out, it's so, so, so exciting. I did think that the issue with the Daniel Bryan segment was he had a bit of the John Cena booking where it's like, get the main guy to come out and just talk about the card. Like he was doing a lot of like, oh my God, I'm so excited for Bianca Belair. Mm and the street profits and i was like shut up and just tell me who you're mad at that's what i want to know who you're fighting <laughs> thankfully thankfully seth came out and immediately you're just like absolutely creaming at the idea of these two fighting each other and as well i have to give a shout out to this i thought that buddy murphy or just or just murphy sorry vince um i thought murphy came off so well in this segment he he, he proper stood on his own he's been pretty much standing on his own in all of the little segments they get he's been put in over the last year or whatever so that was really cool i liked the handshake but ray didn't want to take the handshake segment as well and i thought the, the amount of different matches that can potentially come out of this like Rey Mysterio versus Seth plus cousins, brothers, daughters, sons, all the same. Like that's been a wee bit done, but now we've got like, oh, we could have Debry and Seth. We could have Buddy facing uh, Debry as well. We could, uh, and it's just the combination of all those wrestlers. It was it made it quite exciting, and it was good to see Daniel Bryan back and talking about wrestling and not being like, I can't wait to host this show. <laughs> I can't wait to get on commentary <laughs> for the main event. Like. It was good to just see him talking about being a wrestler. You could have Daniel Bryan versus Aaliyah Mysterio. I mean, the matches are endless. But, um, <laughs> or Aaliyah Mysterio's wife. Um, but Jack, something we've learned from our Raw Report, RIP, Seth Rollins, no matter what, even when you start to get a bit tired of the actual storyline, he himself drags a storyline along. Oh, I mean, like, he's... The man is a god himself, and he's brought he's brought his uh, prophecy and whatnot over to SmackDown. But by God, what the hell is he wearing? That was an awful attire <laughs> he had on, didn't he? That was that. Was like, like the, I, I sometimes, you know, I've always I always find it questionable when folk don't wear socks and shoes. But see, <laughs> you've got your jeans going like up to your shin, like here, and you're just leaving the full angle coming out. What's the what's the point? What's the point? But uh, I was worried when I saw Seth Rollins and. Daniel Bryan being there because I was like right I don't want Daniel Bryan involved in this storyline because it's kind of I was a given when you knew that Seth Rollins was coming over then you had Murphy then you had Ray and Dominic that that was going to continue in some way I didn't want Daniel Bryan getting involved in something that as you said has been dragging and Daniel Bryan doesn't need to get involved in it obviously I don't know if it was just a place or a thing or not but I don't know I'm a bit I'm a bit worried that Bryan could get caught up in that shuffle no no I know exactly what you mean as a storyline, um, Gary, that has been going on for a while, and you know we remember the days of the draft separating people once they'd had their feud eventually. Yeah, absolutely. And I thought that initially was one of the purpose of this draft that it would take Seth out and just move Seth over here and leave the Mysterios and Murphy to do it. But I did read in some of the other uh, websites, I forget which one it was now, that WWE wants to continue that. So when they when Seth was moved, it meant that the others had to move with them. 
so they can continue that story on on SmackDown. Um, I'm sure there's some more mileage in this story. Um, I would like to have seen Seth move on now. I think him and Dominic have done everything they can do. I don't want to see another eye for an eye match. Maybe we can <laughs> do socks and a pole. Um, uh, you, you guys talking about Seth's attire and and them wearing um, no socks, but really, you know, he's wearing a leather jacket with no shirt on. Never mind socks. If you're going to start with somebody's best, <laughs> and to be fair, if I had his physique, I probably would be walking about with no top on <laughs> as well. But I was I, I loved Seth's work this past past week, even just before the SmackDown, the raw interaction we had with him and AJ, for instance. Um, you know, when AJ came out and they had that moment of looking like they were going to be friends to each other and then AJ blows them off. I thought that was brilliant. And Seth's had a pretty the Messiah's had a pretty rough week. And it'll be really interesting to see where he goes next with this because he was on top and he had his his heavies round about and he's now standing on his own and he's finding himself um, being shown up a couple of times now. So it'll be interesting to see what where the Messiah goes from here. I'm quite excited about this. I think Seth's Seth's work this past year has been has been fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, so from a storyline that we think maybe should end, Alan to a career that should have ended a while ago. Uh, Goldberg was in the Thunderdome. He was watching the Braun Strowman versus uh, Roman Reigns Universal title match. Uh, I don't know about you, but I think I can smell some Saudi blood money coming up. Oh, the waft of it's rather, rather pussy, isn't it? It's like Seth's feet. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, um, I think Goldberg should have really packed it in after the match for Lesnar at Mania. That should have been it. Um, and I get he's, he's contractually obliged and he's got three appearances a year for the next two years um, so we've got another six attempts on him but it's not really working anymore I think the, the, the it factor of him has gone after what happened with his last run and the Saudi run and then the almost killing take up paralysing him so I think it's a shame because I, I think he feels he's, he's like he's got one last match in him but I don't think he does. He may have the physique that, let's be honest, if a guy 53, there's a guy at 23, you'd kill for that physique, but <laughs> his body just can't cut it. He just he just hasn't got the movement for it anymore. And everyone's about fed up squash matches with him. I think it's time he just steps aside this time. Yeah, uh, Chris, obviously, the WCW fan in you, you know, loves Goldberg. I, I love Goldberg still, but at the same time, you know, part of Goldberg's appeal was... The fact that he would never lose a match when he lost, it was big. WWE seemed to bring him back and he wins, then loses, then wins, then loses, then wins, then loses. And it's just, it's sort of stop-start. I think that's why a lot of people are just like, oh, come on, especially after the Undertaker match. Yeah, um, it was really weird on SmackDown because, am I right? I don't know if it was, like, cause I, don't, I don't watch the pre-show, but they didn't mention that Goldberg was in the crowd on the show itself, did they? They put stuff out on social to say, or or Goldberg had put out to say he was going to be there, which I meant, I thought meant he was physically going to be there, not on one of the tellies. It was so strange, like, because I saw Keith Lee and Mark Henry and Goldberg, and then I was like, oh, this is cool. They're obviously going to talk about how this is a big fight feel and people are watching all over the place. And of all the people, they credited Mark Henry and his Fox Network pal, but didn't credit that Keith Lee and Goldberg were there. But um, it, it's difficult for me because, like, I'm a big fan, and it's very difficult to watch 
a wrestler that you love like deteriorate and it's quite obvious that he has deteriorated terribly mm. like I, I will still be interested anytime they bring him back the issue is it's like the Goldberg of old like he beat people like decisively but they weren't always squash matches and and that's what's getting a bit boring like um mm. so it's, it's interesting because Alan said that it was three appearances but I read that he was only booked for two appearances but then they had to obviously like you know shove goldberg into mania when they lost roman for that so i was like why what are they doing here like is this the match they did have scheduled have they managed to wrangle an extra match out of them i don't know um i'm always interested in him coming back i love the stat that he's the only person to be a champion and like at least once in each of the last four decades is that right like 90s 2000s 2010s and 2020s um he is the kenny miller of the wrestling world (laughs) because uh he scored scored in each of those decades i think but or no we can't i thought you meant he'd go anywhere for money yeah well yeah exactly yeah 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 um (laughs) kenny went to australia and goldberg went to saudi arabia um but (laughs) yeah so i will be interested i am a stupid mark for when he comes back i did i never tweet like wrestling fandom stuff but i tweeted the morning after he he won the belt the most recent time and i had a picture from each of the the reigns 90s noughties etc etc one of my mates is still mad at me about that because i spoiled the ending of that pay-per-view apologies to my friend matthew but um yeah so i will be interested when he turns up again I don't know if you heard this, Chris. I told this story a few weeks ago about how Ryan Gallagher ruined it for me. Uh, Ryan yeah. Gallagher ruining the ending of something? Is This is so unheard of. So this, this happened to be the night that Copenhagen played Celtic in Europe. And as Ryan Gallagher texted me the Goldberg result as I was out at a night out and the game was shown in the bar, and I was like, oh, no, what are you doing? Why are you ruining this for me? And as that happened... Copenhagen scored and I just text back you deserve that <laughs> um, yes, me and Ryan Gary, have frequent issues about this <laughs> Gary I think the most refreshing thing about Goldberg being on the TV was it wasn't like a wrestler watching TV like this at a completely unnatural angle <laughs> where you can really see him you know it was it, it's good to see him you know it, you do get that pop when you see someone but at the end of the day, we know he is going to wrestle, and it hasn't been great the past few times. No, I, I, I think the guys made some really good points. So, full disclosure, I also love Goldberg, and I think that <laughs> I, I think there's a way to use him, and I think we've seen examples of him being used well by WWE recently, and examples of him not being used well. Survivor Series through to WrestleMania 33 with Brock was excellent. I thought, you know. If Kevin Owens' match, I would like to have seen actually be a match, but that that aside, that that period was really good. I loved his uh, SummerSlam match with Dolph Ziggler as well. You know, ideally placed in the card. Uh, there was a moment you thought Ziggler was going to win the match with the super kick, and then the post-match shenanigans I thought was brilliant. But, and then you put them with other folk where it maybe looks better in paper than it actually turns out to be. Uh, Undertaker and Goldberg on paper seems like a dream match, but in reality you have two people that are way past their prime. Uh, We'll never know, we might find out at Survivor Series potentially how Roman and uh, Goldberg will go, 
but Rome, uh, Goldberg and Braun at WrestleMania uh, didn't do anything for me. Um, so I think Goldberg's he's got to be in the ring with somebody that can, like, somebody like Adolf Ziggler that can work, and mm. somebody uber talented like that. So keep him away from, um, from from the likes of, of the other big men, and put him in with some workers and see what they can do. I'd like to think Roman and him could have a really good feud with you know with, with Heyman involved as well. There could be some. I think there could be some mileage in this. I can see why WWE is going to go with it. Um, Jack Gary was saying keep him away from the big men. What with Raw Underground being pretty much cancelled, I wouldn't mind seeing him just if he is going to come back. Let's just have him run through all the jobbers that are on Raw Underground. Why? <laughs> why not? Big Dabakato, big. You know what, Lars Sullivan, he's obviously in the doghouse. Have him run through him. Have him run through all the big men and then he comes out against Keith Lee and Keith Lee batters him. See, that's that's my, usual. That's my, my, my point there is about Dawa Gato, as you were saying, poor under, Raw Underground's being cancelled and he's been drafted for no reason now. He's going to be sitting in, uh, backstage and making a pretty penny <laughs> eating some food and that's about it. But uh, I couldn't give a hoop about Goldberg now, to be honest. Uh, only way I'll accept him coming back is if like Roman Reigns absolutely squashes him and just kind of solidifies that big, I'm a big heel bastard and that's what's happening, you know what I mean? Like a bit, I'm just a bit scone up with Goldberg. Obviously the, the, the broad map's a bit underwhelming when I read online that he was going to be there for the season premiere of SmackDown this week. Uh, I shit myself a wee bit. I was like, oh God, why are we going down this route again? But it was the Thunderdome, so I wasn't that bad. But I do, I do fear that we'll be seeing a bit more of him come Survivor Series, potentially after Survivor Series, if he gets involved in the Royal Rumble somewhere. I don't know, as you said, he probably would have had a Saudi match by now, but with current COVID stuff, he's not been able to, so that'll be an extra an extra point to his, his ticket, you know what I mean? So it won't be the last, unfortunately. They should keep it simple, right? They should... Do some, whatever they do at Survivor Series, have him and Undertaker look at each other, right? Get him in the Royal Rumble for about 10 seconds. Undertaker on the ramp distracts him. Some other guy that can work, Adolf Ziggler, chucks him out. Get Goldberg to fight said decent worker at Mania and then send him off back to Georgia for the next year. Yeah, don't you think Goldberg and Seth could have a, a match? Oh, oh, no, I, I don't want that. I don't want to see my, my, my favourite Seth Rollins right down anywhere near that piece of shit, sorry. I've been saying that for a while. I've been saying that for a while. They, they would work really well together. Also, on the plus side, they two of them have got a reputation of also hurting their opponents, so it could end quite badly at the same time. We'll find out. <laughs> well, David Campbell does have his book it, uh, fantasy booking tournament on YouTube coming up, so we've got a, a bit in danger with all our Goldberg predictions that uh, getting a copyright territory here so we'll we'll move on to this past week Monday Night Raw um, Retribution interrupting the fiend uh, and we'll touch a bit more on the aftermath of that in a minute because Retribution had their debut match 4 on 4 we've been building to this there was rumours Jack that Retribution versus the Hurt Business was going to be Survivor Series and Team are just talking to Bobby Lashley but it was with, Oh, I don't even know what to make of it. I was, uh, Gary joined me on the, the draft feature show last week and we spoke about why would you even draft Retribution in the first place and how they've been drafted to job in their very first match and, and lose cleanly. Obviously, the what what happened afterwards is maybe more important in telling of what may be to come, but 
they've just revealed Mustafa Ali as their leader. They were meant to have the announcement last week on the Raw draft show of Mustafa Ali just speaking to folk. That never happened, so it got cancelled. Then you get this match, and it's just, oh, I, I, I don't want to say it's going to be Nexus treatment, but I can see something like that happening. I thought that this was what they did on SmackDown, but slightly differently. They were trying to do the whole thing like, oh, look at the players that we have now. Um, I thought that The Fiend and Alexa Bliss looked so cool. Um, I thought that Retribution looked like absolute diddies and hated it. And I thought that the Hurt business, the Hurt Locker, uh, came across looking really good as well. It was just Retribution that I thought looked terrible. I, I hated the whole, uh, oh, how can we be intimidating? Bang the table, bang the ring. That'll scare them. Nobody's ever banged the table or banged the ring before. Um, Retribution, I think... I'm been, cool. <laughs> like, Retribution have been sort of rightfully buried a lot since their existence uh, due to the confusion of like, so what's the deal here? Are they getting paid? How are they getting drafted? What, what the hell's going on here? Um, I, I, I didn't like their match. Um, I thought... As Jack said, they got pinned. Well, they got submitted. I think it was clean. Yeah. Um, uh, it was the the Bobby's Moan Master Lock. I, I hate their stupid little nicknames. Um, I've started calling them Starbar and Flapjack. Um, they just they just looked so daft. And um, yeah, the the less I, I can tell that they're going for the whole like '90s stable warfare thing. But the less we see of retribution, maybe the better, in my opinion. I might come at this a slightly different angle because I watched Raw with my seven-year-old son who just reacted with pure emotion. And sometimes it's nice just to watch wrestling and react to what you see on the screen other than read into it or analyse it too much. So I thought, you know, I loved the opening of Raw and loved these little bits to it. Um, but I think if we ever needed any proof that WWE is making things up as they go along with Retribution, it was this week. As you said, um, Ali was supposed to appear on Raw last week and speak. It didn't happen. Um, it was supposed to be MVP versus Slapjack as a one-on-one this week. It then turned into the, the four versus four match. Um, you know, if somebody in, in Retribution was going to tap out, Make it Slapjack. There's a reason that groups have a little person in them. Uh, don't make it one of the supposedly big bruisers that people are supposed to be scared of at this point. Um, I thought Ali, when he uh, came back later on and he did the behind-the-scenes uh, promo, I thought that he spoke very well at that. But also, the, the interaction with The Fiend, and I know we're going to talk about that in a minute, Ross, but I, I thought, you know, when, when Retribution interrupted The Fiend, that was a moment. We didn't need to see the other moments that came with The Fiend. That could have been next week or the week after. You didn't, you know, I yeah, think yeah. the game is too much in one goal there. Because um, some of that was pretty cool, I thought, and could have went on for a wee bit longer. Yeah, but yeah, just completely making it up with Retribution. No idea where it's going to go. I was hoping that Ali might, you know, be announced as, you know, like when Hulk Hogan, um, this is a weird comparison, but it's the best I can think of. Hulk Hogan was announced as the leader of the, you know, the front of the NWO, and then it turned out to be it was actually Eric Bischoff. I thought that there might at some point turn out to be somebody else who was truly the leader rather than being Ali, because we speculated in the show before, you know, there's an element of the ACs and eights TNA story here of, well, how are these guys getting into the building? Well, you didn't need to let them in because they were already here. 
and somebody was letting them in and somebody in power, that would have made sense for them to get the contracts. So, because that makes absolutely still makes absolutely no sense why they were ever giving contracts and why they would accept them. It's me, Austin. It's me all along. All along. I know. I mean, I don't like retribution because it just reminds me how much I don't like Jack. Because I always want to slap Jack. Um, but we'll talk about the after. <laughs> we'll talk about the aftermath of this. Um, Alan, I know you're not the biggest fan of the Fiend, but. I thought this with Fiend and Alexa was absolutely superb. Yeah, it's grown on me because the thing I've always said about Wyatt is he knows how to make an impact, but he can't prolong it and he loses steam very, very quickly and then he just falls into the jobber category. And I have said openly, I feel this is his last chance in WWE. And I think with the Fiend and the fact that they've brought Alexa in, it's got the potential to carry on. It's not going to be a quick three-month thing and it falls apart again like the Wyatt family and whatever. I feel this one's got a lot of longevity in it and I, I really did like the idea of, you know, retribution, the new kids in the block try to come after, you know, the big bad guy and you know, the big bad guy laid them out, you know, it was great. Um, so I think this has got real potential going forward. Uh, it also affects both the men and the women's division, which I think is great as well because I think we're going to see like a Demon Alexa and it tends to ask us in real trouble now for a title which is bad for me for the draft but the fact that they had both categories and if Fiend was to provide you know its own faction and I've seen mock-ups people fans have done of like adding Alistair Black into it and they were talking about bringing Taker and I know I just highly like Taker but see if we were just to make a faction to make a tag team and have like this Fiend faction go after all the titles I think that'd be fantastic and again longevity I think it'd be a really, really good thing, and I think WWE now have finally struck gold with the Fiend. I think this is something that's been like the whole Alexa Bliss thing as well. That she she's advocated before. She's wanted to work with Bray Wyatt, just never got the chance to do it, and now it's finally happening. It's probably like as as we've been speaking about quite a bit. There's characters that need like a bit of revitalization. Also, the thing with her and Nikki Cross was running a bit stale, just being best friends and kind of drink tea. You know what I mean? And then you just get this this new little something. And I I, I said in the my prediction that they they should be the first round picks for Raw because they need something fresh. Now they're away for SmackDown. They're they're on the they're on the flagship show. They've got folk they've not doing with since this Fiend character and this new Alexa Bliss thing. So there's this endless amount of opportunities and it's, it's as if the hype from when Bray Wyatt as a Fiend defeated Finn Balor, I think was it 20, 2018, 2019, SummerSlam? 2019. Yeah, that's, that, I feel like that's back now because of this this change. Yeah, and um, Gary, something that obviously Jack clicked upon, um, Alexa Bliss just sort of, she flies under the radar from the four horsewomen because, you know, she's been so good for so long, so consistently, she's there's a reason she's consistently pushed. And although she may not have been in the the spotlight the way she was 2017 at the start of 2019, she's now in a I think a better role because she's with a main eventer. Like they, it will be an equal partnership the two of them, and I think it will just put even more spotlight on her. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're absolutely right there, Ross. She was she was a sleeper in that. Uh, 2016 draft um, and what she's gone on seven time champion so three time Raw Women's Champion two time Smackdown Women's Champion two time Women's Tag Team Champion 
she wasn't a star in NXT, but she certainly is a big star, a big star now. Uh, we've got uh, one of our feature shows in a couple of weeks' time is going to do a profile piece on Alexa Bliss because there's a lot to talk about in her relatively short career here. Um, I think you're right that you know she kind of in treading water for lack of a better phrase. You know the the feud with the the partnership with Nikki Cross was never supposed to go on as long as it did. That it came off well, so we never got the proper turn on her. I'm sure at some point Nikki Cross will try and talk sense into Alexa and Alexa will, will lead to Alexa beating her down there. Just the only thing I worry about through this pairing with The Fiend and the change in her character just now is that she comes too far away from what's made her successful now and what's made her a unique personality in her own right and she kind of morphs more into that um, so if you look at Bailey in the heel turn for he- Bailey to now go back to being the huggable character that's a big that feels like a big journey to make whereas when you seem like Sasha Banks itself, the, the changes in her character have been more discreet or you know not as far removed so that's my only fear with Alexa is that she becomes too fiendish that when this eventually breaks up that she won't be able to you know go back to being her own Personality, yeah, yeah, hundred um, percent. There's, it was quite a stacked draw this week. We talked about how we've quite enjoyed, uh, quite enjoyed a lot of this. You know, Titus O'Neil gets turned down by the Hurt Business, even though he wants to join. I mean, I'm sure you and Derek Gary beat up Stephen many a time when he wanted to join your clubhouses as child, or your games as child, or your family as an adult. You know, just. <laughs> just slapped the man about and well I don't think Titus deserved it but did Stephen? Even 100% um, <laughs> it still does I'm very proud to be the president of the I Hate Stephen Club Stephen Wilson Club <laughs> um, but one of the things I loved about Raw and also Smackdown and I think Chris you touched on this point you know they brought out the sort of new toys and it just felt really fresh and seeing people interact with one another and even these little moments with Titus appearing it reminds you that he's there and just gave you something a little bit different. So there was, you know, different faces about. Um, I thought it was, uh, I thought that was really good and added a wee bit of excitement and interest to it. Granted, as far as Ross concerned, like we made a comment about the Raw Underground as well as Dabakato. There were a couple, Riddick Moss and, oh, what's the... Thank you. Um, who were drafted and you know they're all, all sat in that empty basement now because there's nothing going on in there. Um, so it'll be yes, nice Arturo. to see some other characters be introduced over the coming weeks. Yes, Arturo Vidal has obviously went back to Juventus and <laughs> we talked about new faces. So Alan, I'm going to come to you with this because a face we didn't see was El Gran Gordo. Um, Stephen Wilson's trying to claim for his draft points that this was Otis. 100% someone... was not Otis. 100% was not Otis. Right, well, was behind the eyes. Hang on. That was Miz. Don't you start, you. <laughs> I'm, going to, I'm going to give you a world shocker here. I'm going to tell you who it is. Oh. It's me. It's me. That's why I've got the camera on. I'm in the performance <laughs> setup. It's me. I've slimmed in. It's me. <laughs> I loved when uh, they said in comments... Stevie Wilson, give me my points. 
on commentary when they said it looked like El Grandoro had eaten House Party. That was uh, that was the commentary. Sorry, that was the Miz, wasn't it? They said that that was amazing. I went to Nando's beforehand. All right, give me a break. <laughs> I think something that was quite uh, quite good in that was the Miz's promo throughout it was scathing and absolutely phenomenal. I'm not obviously the Miz has always been absolutely class in the mic, but this is like kind of top like recent work because obviously been kind of not not as not that him and John Morrison but a comedy act was I've been a bit of a light relief recently when they were on SmackDown, but that kind of brought that sense of seriousness back again we've not seen for a long time, and that's why he sells that a lot. Yeah, absolutely. I agree there. Um, Chris, Jack obviously mentioned Miz is when he goes serious, he can go serious. He's he's really good in the mic. He can jump between these characters. I personally feel John Morrison's kind of just held him down in recent weeks. To be fair, like, ever since their tag title run just kind of fell apart, they, I, I find them kind of cringeworthy together. I, I, John Morrison's got the acting ability of a shoe. See, this is the issue. This is the issue is that before Miz and Morrison happened second time round, they were actually both doing quite well on their own. Like Miz was in this sort of, you know, post um, Daniel Bryan talking smack feud. And he had a shot, I would say, genuinely, at one of the top belts, predominantly the SmackDown top belt. Uh, John Morrison had just came from being the top guy in every other company that he'd been in but sadly they wanted to do the nostalgia act and Mr. Nostalgia fan number one over here is the one <laughs> time that I'm just genuinely not really that arsed about it I think that they're going to probably stick out for a good wee while longer but the, the more we see of these two individually I think the better like John Morrison as you know see when he just shuts up and, and wrestles he's actually pretty decent and Miz as well can perform a lot better sometimes when he's on his own so I don't know like if only we had some sort of show coming up where we could talk about some sort of tag team breakups or something like that <laughs> stay tuned stay tuned I like your foreshadow we did Gary talked about obviously lots of new faces we've seen we saw a very big face accompanying AJ Styles although that might have just been the fact that AJ is 5 foot 4 AJ had a bit of backup against Matt Riddle this week I, did they give his name Jack because I, I cannot remember them giving his name I don't I think know why he had to come to me for this year because his first name is Jordan but I don't know how to pronounce the second name so I'm just I'm just going to call him Jordan this is what's really John's stupid, right? Because did anyone else notice that the, all the way through it, they were like, who is this guy? Who is this massive man? And I was like, well, his name was on the TV at the start of the match. Like, <laughs> it said AJ Styles with Jordan blah, blah, blah. Um, and I was like, "What? do, do you not watch the TV when you're commentating? It, it just made me laugh. But yeah, big dude. <laughs> Gary, um, we talked about, you guys talked about on the draft show about how, you know, last, last year in the draft... The OC all got drafted as a collective. The OC main evented WrestleMania with The Undertaker. The OC kind of screwed out of a job by Paul Heyman. And now they've just kind of put AJ with this faceless nobody, this PC guy base, this PC guy, they need something for him to do. Don't get me wrong, he looks great in a suit and he terrifies the shit out of me. But other than that, what is the reason to see him? Yeah, I'm willing to see, as you know, I can try and look at this in glass half full and want to give things a chance and see how it goes. So we'll see see where the story goes. But why does AJ Styles need a bodyguard? That's the bit that, you know, he's not been in any jeopardy. 
So it's like, for example, I mentioned about Seth Rollins. It would make more sense to me if Seth Rollins came out and snapped in on Friday, said, you know, I've had all these problems with all these people, therefore here's Jordan, my new bodyguard. But there's nothing, you know, what's been going on with AJ that makes makes you think that AJ needs a bodyguard? Just now, he's, you know, his character's not stale, so he didn't really need freshened up as such. So I'm a wee bit puzzled on that front, but willing to see see how it how it goes. I I just hope that bodyguards rarely go on to be world champions. So, Mister, I don't know. Most of you might be too young to remember Mister Hughes, Curtis Hughes, who was bodyguard to. <laughs> Many people over the years, um, but even before Chris Jericho, um, he was a bodyguard. Oh God, I'm going to forget now. Triple H was he not bodyguard to Triple H? Yeah, and he was a bodyguard for somebody else just before before that as well. Um, So you just hope that the bodyguard gimmick doesn't, you know, doesn't saddle him or weigh him down too much. Gary, that's my favourite ever old wrestler reference on this show. Genuinely, Mister Hughes. Uh, beats, did he even beat Viscera? I mean, I mean, yes, 100%. He was in the same King of the Ring as Viscera, I think, in 1994. And uh, he just clocked somebody with an urn, gets himself disqualified, and that was the height of his career. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God, Mr. Hughes. <laughs> when it comes to the likes of bodyguards, Diesel's up there, and I think he's up there on his own. <laughs> he's uh, <laughs> the only bodyguard that's ever went in one inning. Jordan Omogabine, or... or Omogabin, Coco Bean, like I, I, I don't know how it, I don't know. How, it's it's one of those weird names that when like you know how when you see Ewan spelt in Irish and it's spelt with an O, and he, <laughs> he'll introduce him next week. He's like, how do you pronounce that, Smith? <laughs> See, I don't think it matters because he'll just be called Jordan in like a few months anyway. When they say no, yeah. he doesn't need two names. He'll just be Jordan. Yeah, so exactly. It'll be called Jordan and he'll get an Air Jordan gimmick and then he'll be <laughs> filed as soon as WWE get the lawsuit. Alan, I'll come to you for this next bit because you're obviously a bit of a, a guitar head. How much did it break your heart to see Jeff Hardy break that glorious guitar over the back of your life? I don't care, he's a guitar. I've got a hit on him. You do not break a Fender Stratocaster. It's <laughs> blasphemy. That really pissed me off. That's like a £1,500 guitar and he's smacking about like it's a fucking bit of cheese. It really pissed me off. Really, really angered me. Also, it's great for storytelling perspective, but pissed me right off. The only good thing was, Lisa wasn't actually plugged in. I have so many issues with the Lisa performance. Sounds great. Performance was terrible. What? Oh, no. I loved, I loved everything they do. I'm just so happy that no, 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 no. I finally got to have a concert and not get interrupted until the end. Do you want to know why? I, don't, I was very disappointed about it. Because none of the guitars were plugged in. They weren't playing. I'm sitting there watching as a guitarist going, you're not doing the right thing. That's the wrong, that's the wrong set of notes you're but that Where's the whammy? Where, where is this? Where, I was like, you aren't even playing. And it infuriates me when I see guitarists miming. Infuriates me. I get it for the pyro and sound and stuff. It looked great. But actually, as a perform, perform, musical performer, looking at it going, you are not selling this at all. Well, obviously, different opinions on the concert for Jack and Alan, but uh, Gary, I think one of the good things We've got Jeff Hardy back with a bit of an edge now because it seemed ever since he broke up with Matt, he's just kind of been there. You know, he's had US title runs, he's had the IC title runs, but there's never been a time where you're like, yes, Jeff Hardy. You know, I look forward to this Jeff Hardy feud. You'd get the occasional ladder match where you're like, yes, he's going to jump off something, but 
Yeah. Other than that, there's not been a time where we've looked forward to anything Jeff Hardy related for a while. Yeah, I think Jeff Hardy recently suffered from the curse of Sheamus, which is now taken over from the curse <laughs> of Dolph Ziggler. Where, um, but he, if we wind the clock back, back quite a bit, when Jeff Hardy left WWF, WWE, sorry, he was coming off being the champion. He was top of the card and was probably one of the most over people in the company. He then went off to TNA and it was quite a long time before he came back. But we've never seen Jeff get anywhere near that main event slot again. And I, I think Jeff has still got a, another good run left in him. Whether WWE will trust him enough with all of these problems that he has to put him in a proper main feature slot again remains to be seen but I think Jeff has got enough left in the tank for another one good one more good run but I think you're right we um, are seeing an, an edge to Jeff which we haven't seen before and starting to see a bit more of his personality coming out again so I'm pleased about that normally I don't really care about Elias but there's something about this that's got me a wee bit more interested and also I really liked that they linked it back to Elias getting run over by the car which I had completely forgotten about um, so some really you know WWE gets criticised for not telling good stories or linking up the stories so cr- credit where credit's due for that one uh, yeah so we're going to we, <laughs> I think we really get underestimated how good Ron Smackdown was this week because we've kind of just rambled on about it for a good bit so uh, we'll move on to just WWE news not related to Ron Smackdown and there's rumours relating to this year's Wrestlemania Jack Vince McMahon wants Ronda Rousey and Becky Lynch to make a comeback for their their one-on-one match that never was you know we were meant to see it Survivor Series 2018 Nia Jax's ham fist got in the way we then had a triple threat at WrestleMania because Charlotte was already promised that match at WrestleMania. So I think this would be the, the big blow-off. Uh, and I know that Ronda Rousey's had her doubters, but I thought Ronda Rousey was absolutely smashing the WWE and I'd welcome her with a comeback to face Becky Lynch. I mean, I, I, I agree. I thought her, her Ronda Rousey was really, really good. Obviously, we were all taken aback by a very first match in the mixed tag match with Kurt Angle against Triple H and Stephanie McMahon. But my fear is with with Becky Lynch on that one because that will only be like three months removed of her just giving birth you know what I mean that's not really kind of ample time to start like you know give birth then just straight into training for a match against Ronda Rousey again is also I get the I get the blockbuster sense as a bit as a main event itself behind it but you need to look at the well-being of folk first I don't know if if Becky should be in a position to be in a match come Wrestlemania with being pregnant of course yeah obviously it, it's meant to fill the Tampa Bay Stadium, Chris, but at the same time, you know, people were calling for us to postpone WrestleMania to June of this year because we thought COVID would be over in a couple of weeks. There's no guarantee we get a WrestleMania next year either. Yeah, it's it's, it's interesting. The, the capacity thing is madness. And is, I'm, I'm going to say and, and source this podcast in a few months when I'm wrong, but I'm going to say that they're not going to get anywhere near that capacity. Um, I'm obviously not. a big, big NFL fan the Tampa Bay Buccaneers can't even get anywhere near that capacity just now they're sitting at about 16,000 compared to the 60,000 that is allowed it was, it was when I saw that number the other day I was like this is madness this like mm. if this happens they're going to talk about this as like a you know outbreak zero of this third wave of coronavirus so hopefully that gets pushed away quite quickly um to go to the 
bit about uh, Ronda and Becky. I would be really excited about this match. I, like, I, I didn't think about what Jack just said until he said it. That's such a good point. Like, Becky might not be able to go that soon. And we're forgetting as well, it's like, I don't think that they would do Ronda versus Becky before they do Becky versus Asuka. Because I think that has to be sort of closed first. I think that the first thing they should do when they bring Becky back is get her being annoyed at Asuka again. Be like, oh, well, cheers for hanging on to my belt. Like, well, I had my kids. Like... I need it back now. Do that match. I want to see that match. Like the the match that they had just before Becky disappeared, I thought was pretty good. And um, Ronda also is absolutely amazing, and her whole run was great, with the exception of the actual Mania Triple Threats. I thought that kind of ended up a wee bit naff with the like botchiness, um, and it didn't flow quite nicely. But I I genuinely do want to see Ronda and Becky. But I don't know if WrestleMania this like this next upcoming WrestleMania is the perfect time to do it. Yeah, um, Gary, from WrestleMania next year to Survivor Series this year, um, rumours are that The Undertaker is going to be making a comeback this year's Survivor Series. It's his 30th anniversary in the business. And he's going to be in attendance, but he's not going to be wrestling. Do you not think that's just a bit of a waste of time? Yes and no. Um, If they... WWE can be very creative and get things exceptionally right at times. So with the right type of angle, because he is going to have to get physical with somebody, so with the right type of angle, it could still be pretty cool. I don't want that. We're starting to see The Undertaker breaking the character so much now, and we spoke about on one of our shows that we did when we reviewed it, and I think I referred to that I had no faith in that The Undertaker would actually retire. You know, I, described, I think I described him as a bit of a junkie when it comes to him to this. He, he, <laughs> you know, when he gets out there, he'll want to perform, and I'd like to see him just, just retire and be happy with what he's achieved and not be that guy that hangs about and gets in everybody's way at the gorilla position. Because um, that was a wee bit pathetic on the, the documentary when you see that. So, so try and keep an open mind of it. But uh, I was, you know, he got, he, he's been searching for this perfect ending for so long. And he got a really good final, you know, the, the Boneyard match exceeded everybody's expectations. He's now on this sort of farewell tour doing some of the things that he liked to do. I would encourage them just to leave it at that. But if they're going to do something, I'll try and keep an open mind and hope it's a pretty cool segment he gets put into. But please, dear God, not a match. (laughs) Um, Alan, if Gary's wishes are ignored by the Almighty and there is actually a match, who would would actually interest you in seeing... What could possibly the Undertaker's last match? What what would actually interest you there if he were having to face Sunday? That's a really difficult question because the guy I thought he should have finished with was AJ. Um, it's, this is really bad to say, but I don't think there's anyone worthy of having a final match with him. It's in the roster right now. I really don't. Um, if, if they had to put him in a match, put him in a match with AJ. Because that's the only thing that I think people were a wee bit disappointed about the Boneyard match. It's just what that could have been in a, a crowd environment. Okay, there's no crowd really there in the Thunderdome, but it's the closest thing we're getting to right now, and that would kind of be it. 
to be honest. But I don't think really. I don't know, there's nobody else worthy of having that final match. Yeah, I think, you know, yeah, it would be nice to see Undertaker that last perfect match. Yeah, it would be nice to see it in front of a crowd. Yeah, it would be nice to have 100,000 people showing Undertaker. But unfortunately, the way the world is at the minute, stars aren't aligned for that. I'd much rather see Undertaker go off having a good cinematic match. And, you know, he had that really good tag match with Roman against Shane and Drew. Then have him come back, wait for crowds to get back in. There's a depleted crowd, and then he's deteriorated it even further. And it's just, you know, 10,000 people in a 50,000-seater stadium. Kind of just saying, please retire. You know, I think think none of us want that. You know, we've all grown up with Undertaker. I think we all just kind of need him to move on at this point. Oh, I, I would say if there was... If- Aside from AJ Styles, the only kind of person I could maybe see him going up against is Randy Orton. Of that, that might be a nice wee thing for like if they were doing Survivor Series match. Say, say obviously what Hell in a Cell come up on Sunday if Randy lost. You could argue this like legend killer thing on the back, finally kill the Undertaker. I wouldn't be against that, but I, I kind of echo the statement that Alan's saying is apart from Styles and perhaps Randy Orton. I don't think there's anyone that should really wrestle Undertaker now. Chris, quickly just before we move on, Gary said he has no interest in seeing a match. Um, AJ really is the only option. AJ or Orton, that Alan and Jack are putting across. Who do you think? Hmm, a bit like Alan. I think there, there's. I don't think Zemd left that he's going to have a great match with, and also it's got to be memorable. So who's going to be memorable enough to have that last match? Is it weird to say this, but could you not argue that Undertaker's perfect send-off wasn't a match? His perfect send-off was probably the documentary. And I think that wrestling fans and Undertaker fans will watch that and go, oh, that's that's a really nice way they've left that. And like with them literally riding off into the sunset after the AJ match, I, th- I don't think I want to see him, but I, I think, right, get this right, what does Undertaker do? Buries people, right? He should be the new general manager of Raw Underground. He literally lives there. Like, it's in his gaff. Like, get him involved. I know they've benched it. I know they've put it, but this is what they need. Get some cobwebs up. Get some orange kicking about in the background. That's it. There's your new GM. Just get him to stand about pick matches for that for the future. I think we're going to move swiftly on before Chris suggests anything else. Uh... <laughs> I think um, I think if he does show up, I think we might see a Fiend thing, but I, I, I don't really want to see a match arm with Gary there. Um, couple of new signings for WWE, and they're not really signings you would really, really be like, oh, by the way, these are really good signings, but it's the effect they have on AEW that is the reason we're bringing them up. We have, don't call me Tito, Tino Sabatelli. And we have Ben Carter, and according to Chris Jericho on his podcast, he claims that Tino Sabatelli was the NXT reject who leaked Eric Bischoff's return, and he was apparently, they think he was sent there as a spy by NXT. He then had Rusev or Miro on his Twitch channel saying, we've lost Ben Carter to the dark side, indicating that he signed with WWE. Gary, you and I have discussed before, AEW mentioning WWE far too much. Is Chris Jericho accusing an ex-NXT guy of being a leak a bit old man yells at clowns? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. There's the old saying about tele- Telegram, Telewrestler. This is not new. 
that people blab. One of the differences is the outlets for for such are much more readily available now. Do I believe that, you know, this is a bit of a long tail. WWE signed a developmental wrestler that never really achieved anything in the hope they would get signed by their up-and-coming competitor so they would feed feed intel to them and then they'd sign them back. I mean, that's a tall, tall tale there. He's, he, he's clearly, you know, we, we see it all the time now. People in one promotion are friends and they're hanging out with another. He's maybe been a bit too loose-lipped, but this is nothing new. It's unfortunate to the fans, actually, the, the people that suffer in this, because we're the ones that lose out in the surprise of seeing Eric Bischoff appear in AEW because it's got into got into the, the fan media and being reported rather than, you know, just just keep it a secret. There's a reason why people don't spoil Strictly Come Dancing. It's because no fucker wants them to spoil it. That's why you never... They, <laughs> you know, probably not, it's probably not a surprise. That, that all those eliminations happening on the Saturday night, they just wait to the next day to broadcast it, but yet the secret never gets out. So yeah, very, very true, because I'm, I'm, I'm part of that as well. It's, it's when you watch Strictly Come Dancing, you do expect... <laughs> a spoiler or something you never get it because the Strictly fans are faithful to what TV wants to bring you and you get that exactly come Sunday mm-hmm. I've got a spoiler for you but Strictly come dancing it's shite it's called Strictly come shite it's shite I mean Gary I don't know who you are I mean Bake Off and Come Dancing I mean Sparkly Tights and Soggy Bottoms have you got something to tell me? Yeah, I don't watch Bake Off so Oh do you no. not watch Bake Off? No I, I watch did. Bake Off I watch that's Bake Wilson. Off That's Stephen Oh Lee. is that Wilson? Uh, Wee ginger cake um, I think as well um, Ben Carter I've not really seen much of him Chris but he is apparently a promising up-and-coming guy. He's been on a few episodes of Dark. If AEW haven't done anything with him, but they haven't given him a, a contract, and WWE have went in there and taken him, I don't think AEW can have too many complaints. You know, they're the ones talking about WWE wasting talent. Well, it's not your, their fault that WWE got in there first. Yep, and um, you can probably bet that WWE will be paying him more than AEW were and WWE will give him more exposure than AEW where I, I don't I don't like this chat that like it's, it's, it sounds like a storyline that one of the companies would write um, and mm-hmm. just far too ridiculous for it to happen in real life I don't I, I, don't, I absolutely couldn't care less about Ben and Tito Santana because like they've not <laughs> they've not they've not proven yet why I should watch them like AEW Dark I said on a billion episodes ago I wish didn't exist so see if you're only wrestling on AEW Dark like you're not got my interest just yet um, so so yeah like you make it sound so worthy <laughs> like, I know uh, like, <laughs> like Chris is yeah. demo god <laughs> oh, um, I, I, yeah prove yourself in a match on NXT or AEW um, before your name makes it in the headlines. Yeah, I'm not familiar either with uh, with um, with Ben Carter's work as well. Am I right in saying he's British? Because um, there was sure. uh, there was some reports that a report I read that said that he's actually he's in the UK, um, uh, and there's some rumours that he might he, they might debut him on NXT UK, which would be which would be interesting. I, I'm not sure how how correct that is. Like I said, but Tino Sabatelli. Um, 
you know, all, he he has an incredible look. I mean, the physique in that man is uh, you know he's got abs that are up there with Finn Balor. Um, he's got muscles in places that pe- most people don't have places. Um, but he's not proven anything in the ring, so this is uh, this is interesting. And in WWE have been very successful at signing up uh, talent from other places and then bringing them through NXT. And if you look at the main roster now. In mo- the majority of the people there have come through that route. They've, you know, been bloodied elsewhere and then come into NXT and moved on from there. So I can absolutely, you, know, you shouldn't be, you shouldn't be criticising people because they're signed for the biggest company in the field or in the industry. Just now, that's a, that's a bit sour grapes. And Rusev and Chris Jericho are, 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 in my opinion, come across incredibly petty. With this, I hear another one about the we, you know, they put NXT on Wednesday night against us. I'm going to going to punch somebody. NXT was on Wednesday <laughs> all along. Yeah, it's it's very much uh, like just because you didn't have the best of luck there. Well, it's certainly the case of Rusev. I don't know what Chris Jericho's problem is. But, you know, just, you know, if I went to a restaurant on a Tuesday night and hated it, it doesn't mean Gary's going to go on a Wednesday and not not have a great time, you know. Different strokes for different folks, I guess it is. Uh, we'll swing back round to AEW to talk about their one-year anniversary in a minute. But I know Gary, Jack and Alan, you don't watch New Japan. Uh, I am certainly not familiar with it. But, Chris, I know you, you do take an interest in the G1. And it'd be ignorant of us not to mention the G1 Climax, Kota Bushi, back-to-back winner. Yes, um, right. I watched every single show of last year's G1. Um, I, I think it's a really, really strong uh, what gimmick. Is, is that a gimmick? Tournament? I, I don't know what the word for it is. It's a good storyline anyway. Um, you get to watch your favourites. Everyone has a chance. Uh, it's just a bit fun, really. And I didn't watch as much of the G1 this year, but it was really, really surprising to see this uh, repeat winner. It just shows you how much they absolutely love Kota Ibushi, like he was a mass, he's been a massive deal in New Japan for the last, I don't know, three three years maybe. Um, when he won last year, all all things pointed to him winning the big one at Wrestle Kingdom, and then obviously Wrestle Kingdom last year they went with the whole angle of right, we're going to combine the two top belts, and the two top belts winner ended up coming out and being Naito, who's my favorite New Japan wrestler ever. Um, so I feel like basically what this is leading to is they wanted to push Kota Ibushi last year. They decided instead to push Naito. And this year, it's going to come back round to Kota toppling Naito to become their top guy. Now, the reason that this is annoying for me is that as much as I've loved New Japan for the last few years or so, I am not interested in Ibushi whatsoever. I think he's got this whole gimmick where he's like, oh, I've got to win, but I've got to cry while I'm doing it. And I just, I'm sick of his whining. Like, not whining, just always looking like he's about to cry. Like, he works for a company where the whole theme of the company is to absolutely batter each other. And he's always having a wee cry over something and I'm just absolutely sick of it. So yes, I'm very respectful of the fact that they've decided to pull the trigger on him again. But I wish it was literally any other wrestler apart from him. It's weird because last year they, they did pull the trigger on him. He's been in the final three years in a row. You know, I thought last year was going to be his, you know, redemption. He got to the final the year before. He wins this year. Then they announced that Wrestle Kingdom is two nights. And obviously you said Naito beats Jay White in the, the semi-finals of this tournament to win the IC title. Mm-hmm. Okada 
beats Kota Bushi, retains his title, and then the next night, Okada loses the title to Naito, but then Jay White beats Ibushi in a third, fourth place playoff. It's essentially like, you know, people don't like the say way Nakamura Say it, say it. It's like Unforgiven 2001. Say it. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, I meant Vengeance 2001. Aye, sorry. Ah, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but people complained about how um, Nakamura was booked post-Royal Rumble. They essentially made this guy their top guy and then in two nights made him their fourth place guy. It, it, it's a bit weird. Obviously, we have the East Meets West show here on East Sleep Reflection Suite. Scott and Grant will be recording that <laughs> midweek uh, and they will be releasing that Sunday. They'll go into a lot more detail about the G1 there, a lot more clued up than any of us. But they said the reaction here has been pretty positive. They think it is a Bushy's year this year, much to the disdain of Chris. But the annoying thing is, is Naito lost both belts to Evil and has won them back. And if he loses to Ibushi, it's been two really subpar reigns for Naito when it's meant to be this big thing that he's holding both belts. That's the issue with Naito as well. Naito has had issues all the way through his Japan career. I sound like I'm an expert on this, but the guys on Eats Meets West blow me out the war. But I just want to throw in that Naito, when he first won the belt in, I think, 2008, or when he was first challenging for the belt because he won the G1, like people just weren't really arsed about him in Japan. And so he ended up not going on last. It was kind of like um, the Royal Rumble winner not headlining WrestleMania. It ended up that they put their secondary title on last. So his first run... As the champion, he really struggled. This time round, when he won the, you know, the, their mini vengeance, um, I was like, "That's it! Oh my god, this is amazing!" But then, obviously, they they uh, did the whole evil angle again. Evil's like my second favorite guy in New Japan, so this was ah, oh, my heart was <laughs> torn out my chest. Um, but it's in, it's interesting. They use Naito really weirdly. He always gets used in New Japan as this sort of like outcast guy that's like not really he's. He's like not really a fan favorite, but he's not really heel either. Um, I personally want Naito to batter Ibushi at Wrestle Kingdom, if that even is the match that they're going to go with. But um, yeah, it's, it is interesting. Um, it does make Naito look a bit weird because if you if you hold the belt for any less than like four months in Japan, it's considered a failure. So yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens in January. January, January fourth. Yeah. Um- yeah, well, January 4th and 5th because Wrestle Kingdom yet again is two nights. Um, I think this might be the theme going forward with big pay-per-views. You know, WWE have done wrestling weekenders before, but not just the one event over two nights. Um, I think maybe just for COVID uh, reasons and social distancing and not having as many people in the building, that these big shows such as WrestleMania and Wrestle Kingdom will be two nights in a row, but time will tell for WrestleMania. But if you want to hear more about the G1, East, East, East meets West, easy for me to say, will be out this coming Sunday, Sunday the 25th, I believe it's this coming Sunday. Uh, it will be available then. But we're going to head back, we're going to round up here on AEW's Dynamite, AEW's one-year anniversary. Um, they had a Night of Champions. I thought it was a pretty good show. Uh, did any of you guys watch it? Yeah, yeah I enjoyed it. I thought it was a, a, a well book show but I would I'd also hazard saying predictable at the same time mm-hmm. we also we, we speculated in Saturday Draft Live that if one title had to change I thought it was going to be the TNT title but as soon as you saw that Cody died his hair back to being blonde there was no way he was dropping that so I was just like I don't know I was just I enjoyed it but a bit predictable I think yeah um, 
Four title matches, four retentions. I actually feared for Scott, who in the draft changed his captain to AEW champion, uh, women's champion Hikaru Shida. The women's title is sort of an aftermath at the minute in AEW, Chris. I thought if any title was going to change, it would be the women's title. Yeah, um, I just want to say, because I don't think I've, I've said this since we did an AEW show absolutely years ago, but I, I have really came round to Dynamite. I think that the writing of the show almost top to bottom is really, really good. As many, many people before me have mentioned, the, the women's wrestling's a bit all over the shop. But like, I went through a phase where I was just like, it's genuinely what makes me want to watch every week and for like a 31 year old wrestling fan that's actually really difficult these days because it's just not aimed at people like me anymore um but yeah the the whole show has been really really captivating they took to the um crowd restrictions really really well i think their whole setup is really fantastic as well um and yeah like it's 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 I would, and I, I hate saying this because we really bigged up how good Raw and SmackDown were at the start of this show, but I think AEW probably, of all the shows just now, Dynamite is the one show that I want to watch more than any other. Yeah, that's fair enough. Um, I think it does do what it said in the tin. It did offer an alternative. It's not always for me. I, I, I do have issues with Cody Rhodes. I, I go back and forward and his sort of, I'm a face, I'm a heel, I'm running the company. I don't get to say how this place is run sort of thing. Um, if there ever was a need for an authority figure, AEW Dynamite solely needs it. But Alan Jack said it was a bit predictable. You look at the matches, um, Archer v Moxley, Cassidy versus Cody, who's just won the title back, Big Swole, who's just became number one contender against Hikarashida, who's starting to get herself over a bit, and I believe it was, was it Best Friends versus FTR. Yeah. Yeah. Best friends, great tag team, but not quite on FTRs. You know, not not ready to take the title off FTR yet. It, it yeah. ran risk. Of, sorry, on you go, on you go. Oh, on you go, on you go. Um, it ran the risk of being obviously, as Jack said, predictable because no titles changed hands. But at the same time, if a title changed hands, we might be sitting here going, "That didn't really make sense." Yeah, I think when you've seen the lineup, I think you knew nothing was going to change. But that doesn't necessarily was going to be a good match. Good matches. Uh, I kind of echo what Chris is saying. I think Dynamite is the best wrestling show on television right now. I think it surpasses anything WWE is doing, um, including NXT. Um, but however, all the matches solidly booked. It's well. This has already been mentioned. It's been well written, and you know some of the, the thing, some of the small points they do are just absolutely sensational. Like when at the end of the match in the TNT title that Cassie goes to go and grab it, goes to take it, and the ref just walks by him and he just collapses. You know, fantastic storyteller. Um, you know, it was also kind of funny to watch as well. But I think they've done a cracking job. Um, and like you talk about uh, best friends, it's like a year too early. Uh, they're just in the, the cusp of starting to become one of the top tag teams. Now, they're, they're riding momentum, they've got to keep riding it up. But they're not there yet. I think, truthfully, for the revival to drop the titles, it has to be the Young Bucks. There's no one else. Although the tag team division is so strong, the Bucks are the only realistic challengers to that. And I, and I don't see the Bucks going for that title for a while. Because they said when you know, Dynamite started, they were ensuring they were putting other tag teams over before they ever got close to the titles. So, you know, I think that's the way it's going to be, especially for the tag titles. 
we we mentioned Gary, obviously the the double edged sword, um, about how AEW needs an authority figure. They don't want to be just like WWE. Cody wants to be a wrestler, but can't be the businessman as well. Um, the Young Bucks are on a fatal four way tonight. There is rumours that they are going to win it, uh, but this is a time of recording. He set up an FTR Young Bucks match. I think it's been long enough. I think. You know, they didn't just put the, the titles on themselves straight away. I think it's absolutely fine for the Young Bucks to get a wee run against the FTR. Yeah, the the thing I would add to that was, whilst I agree completely with it, is the timing of it. That feels like the type of thing you want to have on your big show. Isn't it? It's, uh, it's, you know, if you're going to do, we were talking the other one, if you're going to do Becky and Ronda, you should do that at WrestleMania. The question then becomes, well, which WrestleMania? I think if, if AEW are going to do that with the Bucks and FTR, I would say don't don't just throw it away, build it, give us it at your big show, which would be uh, the next probably, what, Double or Nothing show? I don't know, guys, if there's another show coming up that you think that it would there's one November fourth, I think. I don't know if it's November uh, November November something. It's like the first weekend of November. They've got a pay per view uh, f- full gear. I think it is. Yeah, it's, um, oh, that even was on the schedule. Yeah, you want it to be on one of your A shows, not not a, a throwaway B show. Well, yeah, if, no. well, if Goldberg versus Hogan and the, the Georgia Dome has taught <laughs> us anything. <laughs> Is that wrestling is completely scripted? <laughs> um, yeah, I, I do agree with Gary. A Young Bucks versus um, FTR feud does deserve the big time. I think. I don't think they'll go. Uh, I believe full gears the next pay per view. I don't think they'll go full gear. I think they may wait and hold off. Right, like maybe Young Bucks say, "Well, we've got our title match now. We're not going to tell you when we take it," sort of thing. And then maybe save it for double or nothing or all out or whatever the next the double or nothing would be the big one. That's their sort of SummerSlam. Can we just throw in as well, just before we go on to something else, um have to add in that right, so we're a year into dynamite and I think that whatever the combination of uh JR, Shivani, Taz, um Masky Man and Chris Jericho, whatever combination they have on commentary, they are absolutely smashing it now. I think that it took them a wee while to get kind of settled and now the, the commentary every week I think it's really genuinely interesting because obviously they've got all the wrestling background that they bring to the table as well as being like I think Tony and JR two of the most recognisable voices in wrestling um, so yeah they've absolutely nailed it on that front as well yeah absolutely um, an absolutely stellar show here guys because we have had an absolutely massive week in wrestling Um We've not even had a chance to talk about how the AEW Championship Eliminator starts tonight um, to determine the new number one contender to John Mo- I keep going to call him Dean Ambrose, John Moxley's title. We have Bound for Glory for TNA. Chris, you're the biggest TNA guy out there. Yes, and- Eric Young, <laughs> my absolute hero. What do you think you're doing winning the title? What the hell do you think you're doing? <laughs> Eric Young has been reborn in TNA. He's defending the title against Rich Swan. That that card is insane. If you get a chance, guys, go look up Bound for Glory because if I read the matches on air, you generally will not believe me in some of these matches. Um, but we unfortunately don't have time to talk about that, so I'm going to wrap it up. Before I say thank you, my panel, 
at Suplex Retweet, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. We have so much uh, content on YouTube at the minute. And if you ever want to have a wee chat, get us on Twitter, Instagram, or our Facebook community, Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet community. You can tell us how much you dislike Stephen Wilson, and Gary will probably love your comment. Uh, <laughs> Anchor, iTunes, Spotify, and all good Android podcasting sites for your channel, Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet. News, reviews, interviews, and previews. We've got the lot there. So all it remains to say is thank you very much, Chris. Thank you, Ross. Um, and well done to Eric Young on retaining the title. Or <laughs> I can't believe that Rich Swan won the title. Uh, Kwaku, can you edit in whichever actually happens, please? Thanks. Uh, we're also going to edit out the comments of Alan about Strictly Come Dancing. They do not represent us here at Suplex Retreat. <laughs> they should. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so thank you very much Alan thank you uh, we're also going to edit out Soggy Bottoms because it's a PG show but thank you Jack Graham aye <laughs> uh, thanks <laughs> and thank you as always the poor man's heart and hand Gary Kernan thank you Ross I think Alan is just bitter when it comes to Strictly Come Dancing he must have had a bad score one time from Craig Revel Horwood <laughs> or has been rejected from Strictly at some point he's not made the cut to get on the show and dance with Katia true fact I was the dancing champion in my primary school there you go still don't get that 10 from Len though do you huh? <laughs> I prefer it when he says Len <laughs> unfortunately a court order means that for decency Alan must not show us those dance moves so we're going to end it here guys <laughs> we'll see you later on bye hello I am the goat David Campbell and I would like to invite you the listener to my new show over at Eat Sleep Suplex Retweets YouTube channel and that show is The Conspiracy Theory where once a month I will be taking a look at all the rumours and speculation in the world of professional wrestling and giving the most important opinion on the matter. My opinion. Yes, that's right. Head over to Suplex Retweet's YouTube channel. Like, share and subscribe where you'll get a lot of other great content over there such as the new hit show, Quiz Showdown. But don't forget, check out my new show, The Conspiracy Theory, on Suplex Retweet's YouTube channel. Farewell, friends.